Hi, everybody. Welcome again to the Keto Endurance Podcast. I have a special guest today, Heather Coonan. <laughs> we were just talking how to pronounce her last name. Now I'm all Cohen. Cohen. Oh, goodness. Cohen. Yep. Oh, now I feel bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Heather is, her story is pretty amazing because she gave herself cancer and then she helped take it away. So, <laughs> I, which I like that part of the story. I'm not sure that she wants to talk about, well, you can, let's talk about I'll it talk all. about whatever. Yeah. Welcome, Heather. Thanks for having <laughs> me, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. This should be fun. This <laughs> should be fun. Heather and I met in line at, what's the barbecue place? Terry Black's. Yeah. Terry Black's barbecue. And she said, I'm from Arizona. And I'm like, I am too. Yeah. I think, who was I talking to? I was thinking I was talking to Kate. Kate is a carnivore health coach. Health coach Kate, I think is how she goes, like her title. And I was telling her where I was from. And then this woman randomly turned around and she's like, I'm from Phoenix too. And it was Stephanie. <laughs> and we have become pretty awesome friends ever since then. Yes. Uh, since that keto con. It was pretty great. It is pretty great because Heather is pretty amazing. Oh, I, thanks. Right back at you. Thank you. So let's talk about how did you give yourself cancer? Yeah. So I am an overachiever. <laughs> I have been an overachiever since probably birth. I just came out wanting to rule the world and do all the things. And so I've always worked myself too hard. And I've always kind of felt like I was one of those people that thrived off of stress. Like friends, right? Like Chandler, like you need the fear in order to accomplish something. I've always thought I was that, that kind of person. And so I would end up running myself ragged. And I continued to do that throughout my adult life. And I worked a job that was super, super heavy. I was in marketing. I'm still in marketing as my day job. And I was responsible for all of the revenue for a very rapidly growing tech company in the SaaS space that was VC backed. So those venture capitalists wanted their money back. And I kind of just ran myself into the ground. I also have food allergies. So I'm allergic to dairy and gluten. And apparently I have been since birth, but I didn't know about it until I was 30 years old and my body started to fall apart. (laughs) So... Um, When I was 30, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, but I didn't know at that time that that was actually my second autoimmune condition. And I had actually had another one since probably the age of 12. That's as early as I remember symptoms. It's a nasty autoimmune condition called lichen sclerosis. And that is when your your immune system attacks the skin of your genitals. So you can imagine how awful that is. Yep. It's like having permanent jock itch. It's terrible. The skin gets thin and things tear and it's just not fun at all. So I ended up with two autoimmune conditions and the lichen sclerosis, if it goes untreated for long enough because of that chronic inflammation, it can actually develop into cancer. And that's what happened to me. And I ended up with vulvar cancer diagnosed in 2017. So that's how I ended up with cancer. I basically refused to stop eating the things I knew I was allergic to and refused to slow down and take care of myself and wasn't sleeping, was smoking cigars and drinking bottles of wine, sometimes multiple bottles of wine (laughs) and other alcoholic beverages and eating all the junk food like pizza and burgers and just crap, no nutritional value at all. 
running too hard and there you go, right? All under the guise of self-care, right? <laughs> oh my goodness. That sounds absolutely horrible and very, very uncomfortable and horrible. Mm-hmm. And like, very, very, it's a rare autoimmune condition for sure. But the path that I went down is pretty common. Lots of people right. Right. Well, I, I, don't take care of themselves. I can relate to not taking care of myself in a different way. But I was told to eat as well. We're all told a lot of people are told like, oh, eat the carbs, ditch the fat. You know, that's right. really what you need to eat. You know, all the bread you Always. want, but don't yep. have, don't add the butter to it. Yep. Yeah. And it's actually interesting because when I was diagnosed with cancer, I remember like clearest day, I remember looking my oncologist in the eye and asking him point blank, is there anything I can do diet and lifestyle related to help myself? And he waved me off and he was like, no, no, not at all. There's nothing you can do. You didn't do this to yourself. You're not at fault. There's nothing you can do. And that's when my rebel tendency came out. And I was like, all right, well, there's, there's gotta be something because I haven't been taking care of myself. And I know I haven't been taking care of myself. There's no way the two can't be connected. Oh, <laughs> uh, did it make you sort of mad? Like, oh, did I was you like? So oh, angry. well. So let's talk about what was the treatment that you initially pursued? Yeah. So my oncologist told me I had a couple of different options. So unfortunately, the world of cancer treatment hasn't evolved very much in hundreds of years, and so you get the big three: you get surgery, so they'll cut it out, or they'll burn it out with radiation, or they will poison it out with chemotherapy. And those are the options, mix and match, depending on the type of cancer, the stage of cancer. I was very lucky to catch it when it was still very localized. It was not in my lymph nodes. It was just local tissue. And so surgery was going to be my first line of defense. And he said, okay, let's go through surgery. I'm just going to take it out. He's like, well, just remove it and you should be fine. No big deal. No problem at all. Okay, cool. The problem is the lesion was so close to my clitoris that they also wanted to remove that. And at the age of 37, I was like, well, uh, how about we don't take out important parts, shall we? (laughs) Can we keep some stuff? And I argued with him and he said, well, either you can let me take whatever I need to take in surgery or I can get as much as I can while leaving things intact and then we can see what pathology says and go from there. But he warned me repeatedly that I was going to need additional treatment if he couldn't get it all in surgery. And that's what happened. I went ahead with the surgery. They got as much as they could out while leaving things intact. So no castration, thank goodness. He did listen to me. So it was just tissue that was removed, part of my labia. And then pathology came back and he did not get it all. I did not get what they call clear margins. They look for like a two centimeter kind of border around the piece of tissue they remove, clear of cancer cells, so that that indicates that they got it all. So he did not get it all. I still had cancerous tissue. From there, my options were a very, pretty heavy dose of radiation, 35 treatments. That's every single day for 35 days, radiation being blasted at my lower half of my body, which would have resulted in things like I could have lost my bladder, my rectum. Uh, I could have burned my intestines together. I would have had like fiery diarrhea. Like it would have basically fried me. Um, Sexual function would have been completely gone. The elasticity would have been gone. Um, any moisture would have been gone. Um, It would have put me in early menopause, taken out all of my reproductive organs. That sounds horrible. So that was not, I was like, no, I don't want to do that. He was like, or we can go and have another surgery and you can let me take whatever I need to take to get it all out. And I said, I don't like that either. 
One of the big reasons why I didn't like that is because this particular type of cancer has a recurrence rate of 40%. So it's very, very possible that I'd have to deal with it again later, regardless of whether he was able to get it all out or not and get clean margins. So I was thinking, if this is the first time I'm going to have to battle this, I'm going to have to go again. I'm going to keep as many parts as I can keep for as long as I can keep them if I'm going to have to continue to deal with this. And then I talked to my naturopath. So I've been seeing a naturopathic doctor for years, ever since I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. She's fantastic, and she always gives it to me straight. (laughs) She sat me down, and she point blank was like, do not let them radiate your lower half. Don't let them take anything you're not comfortable with them taking in surgery. She's like, the type of cancer that you have, which happens to be squamous cell carcinoma, is a weak cancer. She's like, we can knock this out with natural means, especially since you've gone through cancer surgery and most of your term of burden has been reduced. She's like, there's very little cancerous tissue left in your body. If we do a lot of things to boost your, your immune system and get the chronic inflammation out, like there's no reason why we can't knock this out with natural means. And then she told me a story about another patient that she had had who I believe she was ovarian cancer that the woman had. And she went down the natural path of alternative treatments and she was doing very well. And then she reversed course and went back to conventional treatments, went through radiation, chemotherapy, ended up with a stoma, lost her rectum, all of that, and had lots and lots of complications and issues and is now hating life. So they're like, okay, well, what do we do? And she gave me a big long list of um, supplements that I started taking. And then she gave me some dietary advice. And then she gave me a referral to a clinic in Phoenix, Arizona that has a specialty for alternative treatment for cancer. So what I ended up doing was a whole bunch of supplementation, a ketogenic diet, which was prescribed by the naturopathic oncologist that I started seeing. And keto for cancer is a little different than what I call website or internet keto. It's very, very high fat. So like 85 plus percent fat. So I eat a ton of fat. And then I also did high dose vitamin C IVs. So nutrient IVs three times a week and then hyperbaric oxygen chamber three times a week for about three months. And all my scans are clear. I'm almost two years cancer free. (laughs) And you didn't lose any extra parts. I didn't lose any extra parts. And in the process of all of that, I healed a ton of things. So both the Hashimoto's and the lichen sclerosis are in remission. I also ended up with, I think it was a third fatty liver. That's totally reversed. I had gallstones. Those are totally reversed. Um, I had estrogen dominance. That's all good. My hormones are balanced. My adrenals have healed. My gut has healed. I had leaky gut. What else? Like the list goes on and on and on. I had heartburn. I don't have that anymore. My skin's fantastic. My nails are strong. My libido is back, which is wonderful. I'm wonderful for your husband too. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he's happy about that. And it's nice to have, like, to be able to enjoy sex. Yeah, all of my bits work, so my body is intact. And I didn't realize how valuable that was to me, but it turns out that having a, a normal function of my body is very, very important to me. And that was a big reason why I went the route that I went. And I even lost 70 pounds in the process. Well, that's another big bonus. Bonus. I, I, I read an article about, I don't remember so long ago, it was a, a stories from cancer patients and one of their complaints by a, quite a few of them was that doctors would get rid of the cancer and then the person would be mutilated. All these other yes. bad things had happened. And then the doctor's like, you should be praising me because I cured your cancer, even though they're left with 
a stoma. They can't have sex. They can't ever have children. Right. You know, right. all the, they're, you know, scarred. I think it's very, um, it seems very cruel. Yeah. It's a very unfortunate situation. So I learned a ton about just the whole business of cancer while I was going through all of this and I was doing the research and figuring out what I was going to do. And there really isn't much aftercare. Like they'll send you to therapy because you got to take care of your mind because it's a very traumatic event to go through this kind of diagnosis. And the treatments themselves, if you continue to go through heavy doses of radiation or chemo or surgeries that remove important pieces, I mean, that's traumatic. It's it's awful, but there's not a lot of attention paid to the consequences. And I deal with a lot of cancer patients now in just interactions in my support groups for the type of cancer that I had or talking to people, helping them with their nutrition. And oftentimes doctors aren't even letting them know about the consequences or the risks that they're undertaking doing these treatments. Uh, the doctors seem to approach the, the option of the treatments as you don't have a choice. Like you're just going to do this. Like anybody in their right mind would never refuse these treatments is just how it goes. And so a lot of patients don't realize that they do have a choice and that they can choose to either go through them or not go through them or get a second opinion or multiple opinions or you know figure out what they want to do for themselves. And it's actually kind of intimidating and scary because doctors will threaten you and they'll tell you that you're going to die if you don't do these things. And it's really unnecessary, unfortunately. So in your research, do you think it's the problem? Like, where do you think the problem lies? Like, why... Why are doctors like that? I mean, do they believe that that is the only option? I do think that a, a lot of doctors are actually believing that they are saving lives by following all of the recommendations for the standard of care that is provided for cancer. So I do think that a lot of them are, they really do think that they're doing good. I think some of them have become desensitized because they see it every single day and they, they are kind of handcuffed. Like they don't have other options to provide you. So if you are like me and chemo, radiation, and additional surgery is just not acceptable to you, then your conventional oncologist isn't able to offer you anything else unless there's a clinical trial available. Those are the only tools they have in their toolbox. If they try and send you for alternative care or something else, they could actually have their license revoked. Like they're handcuffed. They only have those options and that's it. Which is why I suggest that you have a large team of a conventional oncologist or your surgeon, and then maybe a naturopath or a naturopathic oncologist, or maybe a functional doc, functional medicine practitioner. You just need multiple people in your corner to help you through all of this. So did you ever go back to that doctor and say, hey, I cured my cancer. You're welcome. Right. This is probably the question I get asked most often. I never, ever went back to that oncologist. I ignored all of his calls, all of his letters, and I got multiple letters because they have to cover their own butts, right? And so I got lots of letters that were like, this doctor told you to do this. Why, like, where are you? Like, basically, like a full paper trail of I was the one that was noncompliant. So, I mean, they got to do what they got to do. They got to cover their butts legally. I understand. It's absolutely fine. But I never went back. I never dealt with him. My scans are clean. And so, I mean, until I start to have issues, which if I'm doing all the things, maybe I won't. Yeah. No well, reason. and that's a big incentive to stick to the program, right? To, yeah. yeah. That, that's a nice little thing hanging over you. Like, hey, cancer, 
is not the best thing. I think I will avoid that piece of cheesecake. Yeah. And since I've done all of the research to learn more about cancer as a metabolic disease and how the mitochondria kind of breaks down and a lot of it has to do with sugar and glucose and chronic inflammation, the more it just makes sense that most of what we deal with in terms of chronic disease, not just cancer, is really nutrition related. Like the Greeks had it right. Food is medicine. They really did have it right. So if you were going to go back to young Heather, let's say even pre Hashimoto's, I don't know, maybe college Heather. And what would you say to that person? Well, the biggest thing that I learned through all of this is that if your values are misaligned and you continue to drive really, really hard on those misaligned values, that's how you get sick. Regardless of the nutrition and you know uh, the lifestyle and stuff, if your head's not right and you haven't figured out what it is that you truly value that actually fulfills you and you're running on things that are misaligned to that, that's where you really start to break down because your mental capacity suffers and then your physical suffers regardless of what you're doing. So I wasn't making good choices because I was distracted with things that I was valuing or thought that I had valued, like the high title and the big paycheck and traveling the world and talking for Google and doing all of these things as an expert in marketing. I thought that I was living the life. I thought I was like amazing. I didn't realize I didn't actually value any of that stuff. Like I didn't care about selling stuff for other people and marketing. And I wasn't able to enjoy any of that money because I was working all the time and like none of it mattered. My relationship suffered, my friendship suffered, my health suffered, like none of it was good. So if I had, could go back in time and tell like young Heather, who's just starting out in life, figure out what you really, really value in life and make sure that you align everything in your life, including your job to that. And maybe this has all had to happen to me for me to figure out what I valued. Cause like I said, I didn't know that a nice, normal functioning body was very valuable to me. Now I know that. And so now I will eat right and exercise and take care of myself, sleep, manage my stress. But if I could go back, that's probably what I would tell myself is to prioritize fulfillment and achievement will just happen later. Although I think that that's the part of of the growing experience is making those horrible mistakes. I think so too. Some of us just have to learn the hard way. (laughs) I feel like, uh, (laughs) I feel like when... I became a coach because not because I was a good example. It's because I was a horrible warning. Like Mm. what has gone wrong? I've had everything go wrong. Like I exercised more and got better. I, uh, (laughs) you know, I, um, I ran more and I got injured. (laughs) So, um, so I think that uh, that's one of the things is like learning from those mistakes is how, we get those insights. Yep. That's exactly right. And that's exactly what I'm doing now. I'm going to school to become a holistic nutritionist, a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner so that I can help others. I will eventually go get an oncology diet coaching certificate so that I can help folks who either are dealing with a cancer diagnosis now or who have been through cancer treatment and are trying to avoid a recurrence, help them with their nutrition and lifestyle optimization so that they can remain healthy. So that's what I'm doing now, trying to pay it forward. 
And it doesn't really matter if you go and do vitamin C therapy or if you go and do chemotherapy. Like that's a very personal choice and it's all specific to your case, but I'd like to help and support everyone who's dealing with chronic illness. And apparently that's what I needed to learn (laughs) because this is my new path. Yes. It's not easy to give advice, but what would you say the first step would be for someone who has this like super busy life and they have these, um, you know, working all the time and have these specific goals and a giant paycheck. I mean, that's something that is nice when that is deposited into your account. It's very hard to let go of something like that. Yes. I think the first thing would maybe to take inventory of why those things are important to you if they are important to you. Some people wouldn't say that this is lucky, but I feel like I was lucky enough that I didn't have a lot of folks depending on me for those resources. So I was able to just quit and just let go of it all once I finally realized and connected the dots that it was actually hurting me more than it was helping me. But some people have, you know, kids to support and significant others to support and they have uh, people depending on them for those resources. So first take inventory about what's important in your life and why running so hard and climbing the corporate ladder like that and earning such a large paycheck and having that title is important because you may realize that it's not actually as important as you think it is. It may be that you can continue to support the folks that are depending on you without running yourself ragged. Maybe you can dial back a little bit or maybe you can go out on your own. I eventually went ahead and went out on my own and started my own marketing firm. And so now I'm very picky about the clients that I take and it's all centered around making sure that I'm healthy first. And it turns out you can make similar dollars going out on your own. So depending on what your industry is, I would first start to just kind of break it down. Like, why is this important? Why am I doing this? Do I need to continue to do this? Are there other ways to achieve something similar without breaking down my own health? So I'm very logical that way. And I tend to just go about it in a mathematical capacity. Well, I'm very analytical and logical too. Sure. (laughs) You know, talking about your story, my husband, we were talking and one of the guys, he worked with in one of the departments is being promoted to a very high upper level position. And my husband was in the same level at one time. And I was like, well, how did he get there? And he was like, well, he worked a lot all the time. And my husband had moments where he's working hard. I'm like, um, that's not working for me. And he backed off and got a, a different job in the same company but like our life has been so much better since then. And this happened, right. you know, we've been married for 25 years and this was like 14 years in. So, you know, I was like, mm, no, not working. And yeah. so we, it's nice that, yeah, he may not be making as much as that other guy and his position may not have as much authority. But let me tell you, he's still married to me. Not that's the, not that's the best thing, but uh, I mean, we see I'm pretty happy, and he's, he seems pretty happy, so we're happy together. And I think that our life would be a lot different if he had chose to like, nope, Stephanie, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to work like this because I have goals and things, yeah. and yeah, I, I don't know that I would have stayed with him. Yeah, and it all comes down to your values. 
he obviously valued your relationship and your life together a little bit more than he valued the level that he was running towards in his career. And everyone has to make that decision for themselves. They need to take inventory of their entire life and figure out what it is they really value. And it was crazy. Like, I really thought that I had it all. I was like, I have everything. Nope. I really just had a job. (laughs) I didn't have anything else. I didn't have a life outside my job. I didn't have any hobbies. Like, people would ask me, so what do you like to do? And I could never answer that question. (laughs) Now I can answer that question. I like to I like to do Zumba. I love to do Zumba. Um, I like to lift weights. I like to cook. I like to read. I like to blog. There's all kinds of things that I'm doing now. But when I was working all of the time and I was sick, I would basically work and then I would eat and drink. And that was it. And I am a stress eater. I've discovered that. I did deal with some stress eating, which seems to have been all but knocked out (laughs) since the cancer diagnosis. I get a little snacky sometimes when stress starts to mount but always on keto-friendly foods, of course. But that has basically been taken care of. So, yeah, it's all about your values. You really And do you feel that. like your life, you know, you've made all these big switches. You're, what would you say your quality of life com- now compared to, like, you know, in the midst of your high-powered, stressful job? I say that my life now, my quality of life now is much better. I'm definitely less stressed. I don't have any more anxiety because I had pretty high anxiety because of the leaky gut and the chronic stress, which would also give me depression. Those things are gone. Head's clear. Mood is stable. I've got a pretty rich social life. We joined a Jeep club. And so now we're out off-roading every single weekend. We do a lot of camping, fishing, just a lot of outdoor activities, hanging out. I actually have energy now to do those things, which I didn't before. Oh, everything is better. Like everything is better since I've healed my body. That's nice. <laughs> so yay, yay, Heather. It's so funny. We talk quite a bit and now I'm struggling to come up with questions because we don't <laughs> ever, we talk about meal planning or marketing or personal stress. It's almost easier interviewing someone you don't know things from. Yeah. Cause you want to know. <laughs> You're curious. Oh, yeah. Ask questions. Yeah. Of course, I have not gone through your situation, but I know other cancer patients who chose other therapies and never let the doctor know how it turned out, even though it was a better outcome. But do you think it would have made any difference? I don't know. I don't know that it would have made any difference. I think he would have been very surprised. And who knows, maybe one day I'll write him a letter and send him a copy of my recent labs and say, this is what I did and this is how it turned out. You can send him Um, this interview. Yeah, there you go. But at the end of the day, I don't know that I really care about his opinion. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the system is still the system and he still only has the tools in his toolbox available for the rest of his patients. So... It's like the problem is bigger than that single oncologist because the standard of care is still what the standard of care is and he's not able to suggest anything outside of that or he risks losing his license. So have you seen the stuff from Low Carb USA? You know what their whole mission is, is to write a new standard of care. Oh, for diabetes specifically, right? Well, no, for everything, for cancer, for diabetes. Awesome. I, I didn't know that. I knew about it for diabetes. I didn't know about it beyond that. 
Yeah. So if you ever see low carb USA conferences, when you go to those conferences, they have all these specialists in keto and they're writing and using their resources and everything to rewrite, to write a standard of care that includes ketogenic diets. It's so doctors won't get in trouble for promoting this diet. Like it's a assist in therapy, you know, and depending on where people are at, you know, you still chose surgery, which I, I mean, I haven't been diagnosed with cancer, but I have thought about it. Like if I was diagnosed, I would still do a ketogenic diet, but I would still look into conventional options. Mm-hmm. Like, do you have any regrets that you did the surgery or do you have any regrets that you didn't go back and ta- you know, that you didn't stop eating those things when you found out you had Hashimoto's? Oh, I, yeah, I went through a whole like guilt trip when I was diagnosed with cancer because I knew, like I knew that I had contributed because I had been diagnosed with food allergies like 10 years before the cancer diagnosis. And because of the stress and in the convenience, I wouldn't stop eating those things. When my website says that I gave myself cancer, I legit contributed to myself getting sick because I refused to stop eating those things. And so that was a huge thing. I had, I like had to work through that emotionally and I had to accept that I was responsible for what had happened to me and I had to forgive myself and kind of let go of all of that. That was rough. That was definitely a challenge for sure. I was just thinking when you said that, the reason I adopted, a, first it was a paleo diet, then it went paleo keto. And I was really, I felt horrible. And I had injuries that wouldn't heal. And that's when I was like, I have got to make a change mm-hmm. or else something really bad's going to happen. Sure. So I remember those thoughts. And thankfully, I did make a change. I'm not saying I, um, I mean, it took, a, it, healing takes a freaking long time. Yes. Healing is a job and it takes a long time. Yeah. Because the time I really had those realizations and then I started doing research, it was, um, my asthma and allergies all went away, but I would say it took a good five years mm-hmm. of being pretty consistent with a few hiccups along the way around the holidays and then getting sure. back on track. And even, you know, we've talked a lot about digging yourself into a hole and your hormones tanking. Mm-hmm. My hormones were in the tank when I first made the switch. And then recently my hormones have tanked again and some really smart person told me I needed to cut back on, uh, <laughs> stop, drink, stop consuming caffeine and also to ditch the dairy. <laughs> yeah. So dairy is a very interesting topic. So I'm allergic to it. So I have no choice. So I actually have an allergic reaction to casein and whey. So anything dairy and I react to both goat's milk and cow's milk. So dairy is just not an option for me. But I did a quite a bit of research when I was going through cancer treatment, and a lot of naturopathic oncologists actually recommend that their clients avoid dairy when they're actively treating cancer because it is associated with metastasis. So um, dairy is very estrogenic, and particularly if you have like an estrogen-driven cancer, like some of the forms of breast cancer, dairy can actually help to drive it alongside the glucose and sugar. So dairy's kind of controversial, but particularly in the cancer treatment area um, in the natural space. But it's also 
one of those things that a lot of people react to. So I'm not so sure that we really should be eating dairy as human beings. It's also kind of weird, right? Like it's another human, another animal's breast milk. It's kind of, it's kind of weird. Yeah. I wish I could gross out on dairy, but, <laughs> but I like it so much. So, yeah, uh, I get it. Like, and I was, I was uh, like severely addicted to dairy, like cheese, butter, ice cream, any kind of dairy products. I lived off of like cheese fries and buffalo wings with the buttery sauce. Like that was my thing. And it, it turns out there's a whole body of evidence that talks about allergy-driven addiction. And so oftentimes, if there's something that you feel like you're addicted to that you have to have, look into it a little bit further and you may actually have an allergy to that food. And whey, or excuse me, and dairy and gluten both tend to be high on those lists of allergy addiction foods because those proteins uh, are similar. They're opioids, basically. They're chemically very similar to opioids. And so they pass the blood-brain barrier and bind to your, I believe it's your dopamine receptors. And that's why cheese makes me happy. Like cheese and wine. Let me tell you, if I, if I could say like, what, if I had no reaction to food at all, I would do, um, cheese, red wine, and like salami, like, um, deli meats, like, Mm -hmm. or, um, curd meats. That would be my, I could literally live off of that. And none of those things agree with me. Oh, there you go. But I would, I wish they did. I mean, yeah. is that so much? That's all sort of keto. Like red wine's a little has sugar. You know, wine alcohol yeah. is not very keto. Even yeah. if like, yeah. no, it doesn't like alcohol is processed in the liver. Ketones are made in the liver. That's right. So, They're competing for that real estate. And right. no matter and how you slice it, alcohol is a toxin. It is not good for you. No. And alcohol, like your body has to get rid of all of the That's alcohol right. before it can start to make ketones again. That's right. Your liver is busy cleaning up that toxic waste spill that you mess. just yeah. <laughs> got, got involved Clean up with. that mess. It's like, you know, yeah. your best friend who's trying to clean up the vomit. That's what your liver is doing. That's right. <laughs> That is right. Holding your hair back. <laughs> yep. And alcohol is another really controversial like food item on keto. Like there's like huge forums dedicated to what you can drink when you're on keto and what you can't. And it all depends on your goals in terms of who's going to have an and alcoholic I beverage. T- I think it tends on your metabolic health too. Because there are so many people, like my husband can get away with eating a lot different things than I do because- just because he's started out maybe from birth or before, you know, when he was in the womb, he had better conditions than I did. Mm-hmm. And those all play into how your body's going to turn out and what you can react to or don't react to. Those like all how all those genes line up and yep, all yep. of those things. And I did not win the gene lottery. lottery. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It also, I mean, yeah, it really goes into your history. So like if you've got a metabolically deranged history or you've got chronic illness in your past, then you're going to be able to eat different things than someone else who doesn't have those things. Like my husband is very, very healthy, no issues ever. And he's able to eat a lot more carbohydrates on a regular basis than I am. He's able to drink alcohol and he just kind of magically slips in and out of ketosis and he's very metabolically flexible. and. <laughs> Good genes, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's just not, it's not fair, but you know, 
we also, we get the benefit of those insights from our life experience that they do not get the benefit of. Right. And that's another topic that kind of goes back to values. When you are diagnosed with food allergies specifically, you kind of have to like mourn the loss of those foods that you've loved forever. And it isn't fair. Like when you're around other people, like your friends and your family that are able to eat all of those things and they don't have any adverse reactions, kind of like if you struggle with weight and you're around skinny people who seem to be able to eat whatever they want, they never gain any weight at all. It's the same kind of feelings. And so you just got to go back to your values and say, what's important? Is my health important? If my health is important, then I have to abide by the construct that is appropriate for my body, not that other person's body. And believe you me, the timer is ticking for that other person. Eventually, it'll catch up with them. Right. Well, yeah. And talking about values and beliefs, I was reading an article earlier today about a study. Where did I see it? But it was about a cancer study with ketogenic diets and glioblastoma. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, it's been shown through numerous cases that a ketogenic diet is very beneficial to glioblastoma, which is not very treatable at all. Right. But they looked at like trying to implement the diet was so incredibly hard because of people didn't buy into it. You know, they either the care because a lot of them couldn't feed themselves, you know, their caregivers didn't understand how to feed them or weren't willing to make adjustments. Mm -hmm. Um, they already were given a death sentence and they didn't believe that the diet would help them that much. Yep. Or, um, they went out to eat or went to social settings and ended up wanting, you know, like wanting something special. Like they wanted, if they went to a wedding, they wanted a piece of the wedding cake. Mm -hmm. And that's something that it's really hard for me. And I can imagine someone who had cancer is like, you know, and you haven't bought into fully that this diet's going to help you. Yes. Yeah. And there's also this, this thing that we do where we tend to reward ourselves because we're going through miserable situations. I don't know what it is, but I see it all the time in my support groups where women who are going through chemotherapy and radiation and being chopped up through surgery are justifying the pan of brownies that they're going to sit down and munch on because they're going through those terrible things. And so a lot of times food ends up being rewards and it's never good food. Like you don't, you don't ever have a, like a bunless burger or a piece of steak as a reward. I don't know. I really, really love prime rib. (laughs) That's different. (laughs) That's a special occasion food. Yeah. I, you know, I, I could eat prime rib and smoke brisket I think every day oh brisket's amazing brisket is so great so Heather and I met yesterday uh was it the did you pick Mm -hmm. it up it was I think Tiffany picked it out it was naked q barbecue so it was called naked q barbecue it was fabulous it was very good and (laughs) and I um I had a little half of a piece left that I was full so I Heather, it's like, just throw it out. I'm like, no, I've got to keep it. I forgot about it in my purse, so I ended up giving it to my dogs. Oh, that's so sad. Too traumatic. Those <laughs> dogs so got a good treat. It was. It was fabulous. So I think that if you could give yourself permission to have certain things like that, like a prime rib or a ribeye, it's a better... Yeah. 
it's definitely a better, like you can still keep the food reward system if you just change the foods yeah. that are you're using as rewards. Still probably not the healthiest thing in the world to do, but if you're stuck in that place, you got to start where you're at. Right. And so, yeah, just change the type of foods that you're using as your reward system. But it was interesting at the clinic. Um, so uh, apparently I'm very lucky to live in Arizona because Arizona is a mecca for natural and alternative treatments for cancer. There's a ton of clinics here. And uh, some of them are vegetable-based in terms of the diet they recommend. Some of them are ketogenic. It depends on where you go. The clinic that I treated at was keto-based, and so they recommended the ketogenic diet to everyone that they were treating. One of the oncologists that I saw was actually also a fan of the mitochondrial diet, and I don't know the details about that because I chose the ketogenic diet. But I did notice um, a pattern. So as I was watching folks go through treatment, because you spend three months with these people three times a week for like 11 hours a week in these IV chairs and stuff. The folks who understood that the, the high fat was important on the ketogenic diet are the ones that actually fared best in their treatment. The oh. folks who just lowered the carbs but didn't increase the fat, they didn't fare as well. And then the folks who continued to eat carbohydrates did the worst and a lot of them passed away. Most of them passed away. But yeah, it was very interesting to see those who understood what the ketogenic diet was actually about, and they had a lot of fat in their diet. And you'll know that the higher your fat, usually, depending on the biochemistry, the higher your ketones. And so when it comes to using keto for cancer, the ketone numbers really do matter. It's important to get your blood glucose as low as possible, and then your ketones as high as possible. And it was very evident to me, like I actually in an Excel spreadsheet kind of like used tick marks and kept track of everyone. And I was like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> Heather is pretty fabulous about tracking things. But I think that that's good because you can notice patterns that you may not recognize. And that's pretty amazing that you tracked that. Yep. Very interesting. Um, one patient actually had throat cancer and throat cancer usually is squamous cell, which is the same cancer I was dealing with. So I know squamous cell is glucose driven. And I asked him about his diet and they didn't understand the value of fat. He and his wife, his wife was doing all of the, the cooking. She was kind of his caregiver at the time and he was not doing well. He was kind of, the cancer was progressing and the treatments weren't doing very well and he was getting weaker and weaker. And I told them how fat works and how ketones work. And they actually changed things and started to do high, high fat. And they got rid of a lot of the sweet things that they were eating. He was doing a lot of keto baked goods and things. And he started to respond to the treatments better. Oh, and nice. I kept in touch. So I don't know how he actually fared overall, but while we were in the clinic together, he did start to do much, much better when he changed his, his diet over to the high, high fat. So just so important. Folks, no. Can you explain some? Can you tell people listening to this why you need and and what does that look like? High fat and why you need high ketones. Sure. So high fat keto is generally high fat. So standard keto macro uh, breakdown would be twenty five percent protein, five percent carbs, and seventy five percent fat. That's percentage of calories that you take in. When you're using keto for cancer, high fat doesn't mean 75%. High fat means 85 plus percent. So if you take the number of calories that you're eating in your day and then you break it down into a pie chart, like 85% of that pie chart needs to be dedicated to fat. And as few carbs as possible and the carbs that you do eat need to be coming from vegetables, 
green vegetables, or if you're even taking things like organ meats and eggs, they need to be coming from liver and eggs. So all natural, clean, like when it comes to keto for cancer, it's the squeakiest clean keto there is. And then when it comes to the ketones, the reason we want really, really high ketones is because the cancer cells themselves are really just cells, like normal cells that have a broken mitochondria. The mitochondria is a little energy producing furnace inside of your cell. And when that, it gets broken or goes awry, instead of using oxygen and the normal aerobic kind of functions to replicate and to do regular cell activities, they start to ferment and create lactic acid instead. And so they're actually using the sugar and the glucose in your system and then fermenting that kind of like beer (laughs) and making lactic acid. And that's what is proliferating the cancer cells themselves. So if we take away the glucose, that makes them uncomfortable. Now, keto by itself cannot treat cancer. You have to use keto to amplify the effects of whatever treatment you choose. But by removing as much of the glucose as possible, and you always have a little bit because of gluconeogenesis, your body uses fat and protein to make the glucose that's necessary for cells that can't use anything else. Your uh, red blood cells, for example, can't use fats and proteins. They have to use sugar. So your body will make a little bit of glucose for those guys. So if you get it as low as possible and then you make ketones, cancer cells can't really feed off of ketones. They can really only feed off of sugar. And there's a few other things that they can feed off as well, including uh, glutamine in some studies, some amino acids. So you're basically making an uncomfortable environment for the cancer cells. And then at the same time, those ketones are improving the health of your healthy cells. All of the mitochondria in your healthy cells thrive off of ketones. So ketones really improve mitochondrial health in general. And so you're bolstering all of the healthy cells while making the cancer cells uh, uncomfortable, which is why it is the perfect diet for most cancers when you're going through any kind of cancer treatment because it's protecting your good cells and then making sure that your cancerous cells are wide open to attack for whatever it is that you're using, vitamin C, chemotherapy, radiation, whatever treatment you've chosen. So in a nutshell, that's why. Very cool. And I thought you did a very good job of describing that. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it is pretty cool. And there's tons and tons of books about it. On my website, heathercohen.com, C-O-O-A-N. I actually have a blog post that talks about all of the books that I used during my uh, research. That and I, I can love. share that. I'll put it that in the notes. Put that in the show notes. Perfect. Right. Awesome. But I think it's really important to realize that you know, before you have cancer, people can adopt a ketogenic diet and it's, there's no guarantee you're not going to get it because there's lots of things that cause cancer. There's- not just that, but it's also something that starts years and years and years and years before you actually have an issue and become diagnosed. So if you still end up with cancer, even though you've been on keto, it doesn't mean that that cancer didn't start 10, 20 years ago and it's just now coming around to get you. Yeah. I know uh, a gentleman who had brain cancer and he had an uh, injury and he had a CAT scan or he had a scan. I don't know what kind of scan, but there was a little dot there and they didn't recognize it as cancer. And then later he was having headaches and, and symptoms and he got another scan and it was much bigger. They looked at his old scan and it had, was already starting. Yep. And that was like a 10 year difference. That's right. That's right. And people don't realize we actually all have cancerous cells. Cancer is we, a normal all the time. 
It's a normal right. mechanism. Um, there's a Japanese study that actually found, discovered that we make anywhere from 5,000 to 2,000 cancer cells every single day. But if you have a healthy immune system, your immune system just takes out the trash and you don't have to worry about it. It's when your immune system becomes compromised and you have chronic illness or chronic inflammation and you're not taking care of yourself and you're leaving yourself wide open, your immune system can't keep up with all of that. So everyone has cancer. It's just whether or not it becomes a problem depends on you and the lifestyle that you're living. It really does. All very great information, Heather. This is... (laughs) So fun. So tell people where they can find you and how that you can help them or what you offer. Sure. So you can find me everywhere online under the name Heather Cohen, C-O-O-A-N. So heathercohen.com. I'm also Heather Cohen on Facebook and Instagram. I do have a YouTube channel open, but I don't have any content up there yet. That is my next adventure is to try and get some YouTube content out there. And then I am available for nutrition coaching. And I'll even help you figure out your values if you need that kind of coaching, some life stuff. But I am currently finishing up my FDNP, which is my Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Practitioner Certificate. And so if you do want to work with me now, make sure that it's understood that I'm not with a formal certificate yet, but I will be soon. And so I'm happy to help answer questions. I'm around. Very cool. And you can find her on Instagram. And you're not on Twitter very much, are you? I'm not on Twitter very much. Most of the Twitter stuff is uh, my marketing stuff. Yeah, but I am there. And Uh, on Facebook. And if you are in Arizona, you can join our, is it Arizona Keto? We have AZ Keto Locals, I think. Yeah, AZ Keto. (laughs) I was going to do Keto, Keto AZ. AZ Keto Locals. And you can join our group. And... I believe Heather's going to be giving some talks and I'm going to be giving Mm -hmm. some talks, right? Absolutely. And some other local peeps are going to give talks about keto and we're trying to really grow the Arizona keto community. Yep. And if you really want to hang out, uh, Stephanie and I both will be speaking on the 13th annual low carb cruise next May. So if you want to come hang out with us in the Bahamas, right? We're going to the Bahamas. We're going to Honduras, all the way to Honduras. And then they have, we're starting in Port Canaveral. I'm going a week early because it's my niece's birthday and my sister. We're all meeting down to go to Disneyland. Oh, how fun. Yeah, it'll be super cool. And then we're going on the cruise. I think it's seven or eight days. And I know we mm-hmm. spend a whole day at Coco Cay, which awesome. is, uh, we did last time on the last cruise. And that was lovely. It's this beautiful small island that's just owned by the cruise. It's super tiny. You can like walk across the whole thing in like half a mile. Cool. And um, you can rent paddle boards and um, just snorkel or whatever. So it's super fun. And the best part about it is you get to really hang out with all the cool keto peeps. It was so fun last time. I'm excited. This will actually be my first cruise ever. So I'm very excited. It should be fun. And one nice thing, like if you don't get the drink package, there is a big incentive not to have any alcohol because it's so darn expensive. Sure. (laughs) And you can, oh, you can order just carnivore meals. You don't have to, you can request not to have any vegetables. Ooh, there you go. And you can get lamb and prime rib and all kinds of lobster. You're going to be eating good. (laughs) Yes. Yes. 
All right, great. It was so fun talking awesome. to you, Heather. I yeah. will talk to you later. Great. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.